Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. In our last episode, we had accompanied Elijah and Elisha on the first two stops of the three stops of Elijah's farewell tour. The first stop had been Bethel, the second Jericho, which leads us to the final stop today, the River Jordan. The Jordan is the border that represents the entire promised land and thus my entire promise. Land that we pledged to Abraham and his offspring. Land that in the fullness of time and eventual obedient faith on several leaders and ultimately David's part, we provided. This river represents both the beginning and end of that promise's fulfillment, from my taking Joshua by the hand across the river at the beginning to my taking David all the way north to the Euphrates at the completion of it all. The Jordan is a lesson not only in my keeping my promises, but also in the need for you to persevere in your faithfulness until our entire mission is accomplished. You may not be securing a literal promised land, but I have still commissioned you for significant and specific purpose in which you must remain faithful. If that doesn't make sense to you yet, it will. Stay on course, friend. Remain on the way with us, and you will reach your own promised land. I have guaranteed it. And so, with these visits to Bethel, Jericho, and the Jordan, Elijah has walked through three reminders touching on our full journey with our people to this point. Reminders of the power of partnership in three different ways, of the power of individual walk with us, of the power of our entire people's united faithfulness to us, and the power of persevering trust in our promises on both an individual and community level. These lessons are not lost on Elijah or Elisha or you, nor on the prophets in Jericho who have sensed that we're up to something special, and, like the Bethel prophets, also warn Elisha that his masters got a ticket on the glory train. They mean well. They also follow the two prophets out of town on their way to the Jordan. It's only a six-mile hike. At least fifty of the Jericho prophets come along. They mirror the recently dispatched companies of fifty soldiers loyal to Baalzebub. In contrast, the Jericho Prophet Company affirms that there is indeed still faith in Israel, faith that still looks to us with trusting expectation. They don't know if there are going to be any fireworks like the Mount Carmel showdown, but with Elijah around, you never know. There's no time to grab blankets and picnic baskets. For full symbolic impact, Elijah, of course, can't just walk up to the Jordan and toss a rock in it. He has to cross it, 
and he's got to cross it in style that evokes one final miraculous piece of the story. He crosses on neither boat nor barge, but on foot. No, he doesn't walk on the water, but he does walk on the riverbed after striking it with his cloak. The waters part as easily as the sea did for Moses, and the Jordan for Joshua. And Elijah and Elisha cross to the other side on dry land, connecting not only with the fulfillment of our promises embedded in the crossing of the river Jordan, but also with the wonder of my power in delivering my people from certain death in their supernatural Egyptian escape. That theme of Exodus, escaping slavery and bondage to become my transformed beloved people, is the leitmotif that returns on nearly every page in Tom. And just in case anyone could possibly miss our underscoring of our supernatural nature and power in the course of this farewell tour, we raise the curtain just the tiniest bit at this pivotal moment, and the two prophets who've crossed the Jordan, both literally and symbolically, are able to see the unseen. You know, just one member of the hosts of whom I am Lord. A chariot of fire. Uh, no, this is not the bit they named the movie after. That'll come later. Reviewing quickly here, the title Yahweh Sabaoth is used of me well over 200 times in the owner's manual. Again, even though Sabaoth looks a lot like Sabbath to you, these two similar-looking words apply to two very different things, though both are closely associated with us. Sabaoth most easily translates into armies or hosts in your habitat. You know who those hosts are. They're not paper-thin wafers of wheat and water. In this case, hosts is very militarily referring to our armies of angels. Big, strapping, powerful angels. A whole great slew of warriors. So it's understandable when the term Yahweh Sabaoth gets translated Lord Almighty, because I am all that and then some. However, neither of those words, Lord nor Almighty, are there in the Hebrew text. A more precise translation, used as a formal title, is Yahweh God of Angel Armies. For the one scholar still left listening, in full disclosure to you, the term for God, Elohim, actually that's the term for gods, isn't it? You knew that. That term is not in there either, but is firmly inferred in my name already in all its dense meaning. Of course, my armies have been in the story all along and noted briefly, if cryptically, on the way. David has clear instructions in 2 Samuel 5.24 and 1 Chronicles 14.15. He's got clear instructions in battle to wait until he can hear my forces marching out of the treetops before moving his own human troops into the battle. In most instances of supernatural victory on the part of Israel, once again referring to pre-split full 12 tribe Israel, our angel armies have played a role. Once again, however, because of their actual appearance to the human eye, 
We have not and do not, as a continuing general rule, lift the veil that masks their presence and let everybody see them in their wondrous work. We've already discussed this with you, though it's been a good while. The reason these guys aren't visible to your race is your tendency to assign them divine properties because of their amazing appearance and power. Yes, they're powerful. I made them that way. No, they're not gods. I am. You would totally, and some of you already do this without having the chance to see them with your own eyes, you would totally worship the angels if you were able to see them. They know you're not supposed to, and they, at least the angels following me, don't want you to. We'll unpack this more fully in time, but you're not going to get all the information until you're on the other side of the veil with us and you can finally handle it all. I promise it's worth waiting for, and I beg you to not obsess about it all and start making things up in the meantime. The reason for this singular moment, the quick appearance of a chariot of fire and the horses of fire pulling it, is to underscore the pivotal role in which we have placed Elijah. He represents a turning point in our dealings with humanity. He is the one who throws down the gauntlet on Mount Carmel and proclaims that I am not only Israel's God, but the only God that is. This shift in policy is exactly why we can reveal just a tiny speck of the angelic force we've got moving in heaven and earth. There's no confusion now as to whether the fiery beings are other gods of some kind. I am the only God, so they are not gods. They serve me. And if they look that cool and powerful, then how much more must I? Elijah also gets this grand an exit because of the role he has yet to play in the Abra plan. Think about him for one last minute. He firmly represents my call to my people to turn their hearts to me and me alone. He already is known to be my messenger, my messenger of blessing and reward of faith, remember that widow and her flower and oil, as well as my messenger of judgment in reward of betrayal. Do you really need an example of this? And so he will enter our saga with humanity again later in an unexpected way that carries with it all this meaning and more. For now, though, his mission is ended. Like Moses, Elijah has presided over a significant shift on the way. He's even miraculously parted the waters here to prove it. However, Elijah doesn't wander off into the hills and die, nor does he get consumed by fire from heaven, which some would think a fitting end. No, he's taken up whole and alive in what's described as a whirlwind. Now, don't start projecting Dorothy's trip to Oz onto Elijah. This is not a meteorological event. It's our way of giving Elisha and the 50 guys on the other side of the Jordan a way to understand and talk about Elijah's moving from your side of the curtain to ours. Those guys in that ancient habitat obviously hadn't discovered space travel yet, so going up in the sky meant coming to me. And so we bring Elijah up in a whirlwind. He departs as a dignitary. 
He does not ride in the chariot of fire. That is his military escort. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.